The pandemic changed the world on a global scale. Mental exhaustion, economic disparities and escalating divisions now mark our times. Hello and welcome to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. Our very special guest on the show this time is award-winning Chris Rice, who's here to talk about his new IVP book called From Pandemic to Renewal, Practices for a World Shaken by Crisis. Chris is director of the United Nations Office of the Mennonite Central Committee and International Relief Development and Peace Agency. He served as co-founding director of the Duke Divinity School Centre for Reconciliation and has worked through the academy, churches and faith-based organisations to heal social conflicts in East Africa, Northeast Asia and the American South. And he joins me now from the States. Chris, hello to you. Greetings. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, sir. Now, this was an intriguing read, and I have a great many questions to to ask you. But can I start off, uh, can we begin by asking you how the pandemic affected both you and your family? Well, when the pandemic broke out, I was working at the United Nations in New York City with a front row seat, engaging it as part of a faith-based organization. And I saw the paralysis that hit the nations at the UN. My wife, Donna, is a nurse, and she was suddenly thrust into the front lines of death in New York City, one of the wealthiest, well, maybe the wealthiest uh, city in the United States. And then I was found myself living with my father in Vermont to protect him. And it was really there in Vermont that I began to realize the crisis of the pandemic opened up challenges within my own heart, my own life. And I really began to wrestle with how might this be an opportunity for renewal in the world, in America, in my own life. Yes, you're right that the pandemic era is also the opportunity of a century. How is that? What sort of opportunity is it going to present? Well, I think that the pandemic was, number one, if we slow down and think about it, it was really the greatest crisis that has hit our world. In this, since World War II, in, in seven, over 75 years. But, but as we see throughout history and in the life of the church, great crises are also, can be times of incredible renewal. And I think that the pandemic was an x-ray that exposed challenges. It was also an accelerant that accelerated a number of challenges. But these challenges present ground for learning how to be more faithful to the way of Christ, that the ground of crisis can become a ground of renewal. Yes, you, I mean, you cover various uh, areas of concern in your book and issues that are certainly prevalent where I live and where, where we all live, probably. Um, I want to focus on some of these. The first of them is anxiety. You write, I think, that we're living now in an age of anxiety and burnout. Now, why is that, do you think? I think it's 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 the it's the it's the sense, well, especially in, in, in the West, the Western nations, the countries of the North, of overachievement and the expectation that we can solve any problem because of the growth in technology, that we can solve all problems. Um, we have now the, the, the emergence of, of artificial intelligence, which makes us believe that we can solve other problems. And yet this creates a kind of excess positivity an excess of positivity that creates the 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 um, really the illusion that the more active we become, the freer we are. But actually, 
this kind of hyperactivity is not is not sustainable and it creates a tremendous amount of anxiety and that was really exposed by the by the by the pandemic what's the antidote for anxiety well you know that's really what i was wrestling with as i was figuring out how to start this book um because my temptation was actually to start the book with lament i mean when you look at you know 7 million people dying of covid in in my in my country a million people dying of covid when you look at the inequalities that would, that have opened up in the world between the haves and have nots i think the pandemic has also exposed that increasing polarization in our world i mean my temptation was to begin with lament but but as i wrestled with that, as i as i thought about the crises in my own life i really came to believe that that this challenge of thinking we can solve all problems does create a kind of burnout that's not an, an activism that's not sustainable and actually hurts relationships. And so the antidote to burnout is not activism, it's joy. And it's being grounded as God's people, not in trying harder and doing more, but in, in belovedness. Yeah. How have you personally learned to slow down? Because you write about this in the book too, don't you? I do. It was really a crisis because I, I would say I'm a recovering activist. <laughs> and I was part of a, a ministry in Mississippi focused on racial justice, racial reconciliation. I was part of that ministry for 17 years. And and we it was a remarkable neighborhood ministry. Our Our gospel was a gospel of trying harder and doing more and trying harder and doing more can take you only so far but that is really not not good news and this a crisis hit our the community that i was part of and and i and and um central to that was was a broken relationship with with my african-american colleague whose name uh, was spencer perkins and spencer and i could not resolve our conflict and and it really, the breakthrough was a mentor who said to us, what does the Bible talk about more, loving God or loving neighbor? And I thought it was a trick question. And he said, actually, the Bible talks far more about God's love for us. And if you don't get that into your bones, you are very dangerous activists. Well, that led to a, a breakthrough in our in our theological imagination, but also in, in, the, in our relational life. And Spencer and I found our way back to each other, and we began to work at how do we replace a culture of demands with a culture of grace? And I think that's a central challenge that has really emerged out of the pandemic. Missed mm -hmm. our polarizations, missed our anxiety. How do we create a culture of grace versus a culture of demands? Spencer actually, after that after the breakthrough in our crisis, he actually passed away suddenly, just three months later. And after Spencer died, I went to a retreat center and I realized I had spent 17 years in Christian ministry and I had never stepped away to be still for retreat. And that took me to see the in the scripture, the gift of Sabbath, the gift of being still, the story of Mary in Luke 10 at the feet of Jesus. And um, my practices changed dramatically since that time. I go on, I have rhythms of contemplative retreat. And um, I actually have a, a friend who teaches political science at Duke University who jokes that Chris Rice 
retreats more than the French army. <laughs> so, um, but, um, but, but, th- but, th- but that's, th- that crisis dramatically changed. And that's, that's why I think that this kind of, this, this, cr- this great generational crisis of our time is an opportunity to live into a deeper way of life with Christ. Mm. Yes, absolutely. We mentioned inequality. Uh, if I can, I've got one question here about AI because this part of your book fascinated me. I wonder how artificial intelligence and robotics affect society, and will we see the rise of a massive underclass? Well, there are there are some um, experts who are, are really are really speaking to that now and saying that you know, like for example, you know, I don't know about New Zealand, but but in the U.S. One of the things that changed dramatically during the pandemic was was delivery, delivery of goods, delivery of food to our homes. Well, now now auton- now machine now forms of delivery, auto, you know, autonomous vehicles, et cetera. All these things are going to replace truck drivers, delivery people, and and as 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 work changes, as AI does begins to do things that human beings now do. There really is the danger of the of the growth of a class that will a class of people that will be considered useless and irrelevant. And that poses a tremendous moral challenge to the church. Mm. So technology is not a panacea. Technology also brings with it very disturbing realities that society thinks all these things can be addressed as technological problems, technical problems, but they really require moral imagination. I'm very tempted, but I'm not going to uh, go on to talk about uh, recent experiments with chatbots <laughs> and particularly the poor old Sydney. I won't mention Sydney. He's been having a bit of bad news over the last few months, but let's move on. <laughs> Speaking of AI, let's hope they sort it out. Um, let's come on to politics. Uh, how do you think America has become increasingly polarized and pessimistic? Well, um, you know the the they're really the the we're really it's we're in a pandemic era. I would I would call it a post twenty twenty era. And as far as 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 America is concerned, that was COVID. That was the murder of George Floyd uh, that led that has led to a racial reckoning, and that was a a contentious election that that ended with an attack on the on the capital of the United on Washington DC. And, and and you know in that that attack, you know, there were a lot of Jesus saves. There were Confederate flags being flown. There were also um Jesus saves signs being held. And this polarization has paralyzed politics in, in the United States. And and what it really has exposed is a challenge of political, what I would call political mediocrity, gridlock, a partisan cancer. And what I mean by, so partyism, where party, where, where research is showing that, I mean, racism is quite deep within American society, but research is showing that one's political party will, will say a lot about who one marries, where one goes to church, whose one's friends are, that partyism is deeply, deeply polarizing and creates a mediocrity that that I find quite disturbing because politic political power matters. It matters for 
indispensable good, it matters for unparalleled danger. And so we, we cannot afford to retreat from political power. And that, that's the danger that I see. You're right, I think, and I've written this down, and this is, I'm quoting you, I think I'm quoting you, the third problem of political mediocrity is the two dominant Christian approaches to political engagement, you write, retreat and control. Now, why are both retreat and control so disastrous? Well, retreat is disastrous because because political power, political power can, can bring indispensable goods. For example, the AIDS crisis in the world, 25 million lives were saved during the AIDS crisis because of a program called PEPFAR, which was actually led, legislated by President George Bush in the US. 25 million lives. That required political power. But then we can also think of the incredible evils in our world that were due to political power. The Holocaust, the genocides, genocide in Rwanda, apartheid in South Africa. These were political problems. And so retreat Retreat is very dangerous. On the other hand, the temptation is to make politics ultimate and to make politics all that matters and to then seek to control. And when we seek to control, we make an idol of political power and we easily become seduced and bent Mm -hmm. by that power. And so the challenge for Christians is how do we hold together distance both distance and access. Got to hold those together faithfully. Yeah. Should the church talk more about politics, do you think? Well, I think the church, so we talk a lot about politics in the U.S., but we're not talking about it. In the, we're, all, we're talking about it in ways that are completely polarizing. So, you know, a church that doesn't talk about politics is not being the church. The challenge, and, you know, that's my opinion, the challenge is how do we talk about politics? How do we talk about it? How do we have really good theological engagement about politics? And how do we talk about politics in a way? So so my, the definition that I offer of politics in the book is the practice of politics is the use of political power for love of neighbor, just relationships, and the flourishing of life in common. That's what we need to be talking about. What How do we talk about politics, love of neighbor, just relationships, the flourishing of life in common? At the heart of that has to be the vulnerable, protecting the vulnerable. Those are the ways that we need to be talking. We we must be talking about politics, in my opinion, to be faithful to the call of Christ. Mm. You're right. The third danger is a bipolar China versus us world. How so? Well, you know, I, I... in my work engaging the United Nations as part of a faith-based agency, you know, I have a front row seat to seeing the battle between the U.S. and China on the U.N. Security Council, which is the most powerful international body in our world for peace and security. And the battle between the U.S. and China is, is, is paralyzing the ability of nations to provide solutions to challenges from climate change to future pandemics to uh to the to the russia the russian military invasion of ukraine to myanmar to palestine israel when when the, when the security council is united at real action can be taken for good but when the security council is divided it paralyzes things so i see that up close and personal 
And I think we're seeing throughout our world, like just another example is, you know, our clean energy economy is going to lead to the to us um, many more elect electric vehicles. But every electric vehicle, and by the way, every computer and cell phone relies on precious minerals. A, a vast majority of those minerals are mined in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, one of the wealthiest nations in the world in terms of resource and one of the most violent and poor nations in the world. And the U.S. and China right now are battling and the, comp and the companies from these two countries are battling over these resources. That affects our use of these products, that battle between the U.S. and China. Yes, so much more I'd like to talk about. We're, we're fast running out of time, as always, in these interviews. But um, you have a very important section in your book about the church. And I want to focus for a little bit on that, if we may. In what sense do you think the church is in distress? I think that's the word you use. Yeah, uh, the word. Yeah. And, and the word I use is, is, is um, well, there's there's lots of alarm alarms coming from distress signals coming from from the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church. Presbyterian, um, Southern Baptist Church in U.S., you know, Southern Baptist Church in our country, scandals of of abuse of power, sexual abuse, um, you know, racial racialization of the church, racism, and the so so what I see is is um well you know and you know one you know uh, Brent one one statistic that that really that has really bothered me writing this book is that in the United I don't know how it is in New Zealand but the United States. 38% of American pastors considered resigning during the pandemic. Many did here too. Oh, really? Yes. So, I mean, there's incredible burnout with pastors. And I mean, who is, who is the church? What is a healthy church without our pastors? So, so these, but again, these distress signals, these, these um, stresses, this in-between time, you know, online worship, Move, so many people now moving to online. All all these things are a pruning. The word that comes to my mind writing the book is a pruning. It's a pruning time. We don't know where the church will be. We know where it's been. This is an in-between time of, of pruning. And pruning, pruning is very painful. Pruning means cutting off branches, cutting back, um, getting smaller. But pruning ultimately leads to greater fruit. And I want to believe that that is what God is doing with the church now. Yeah. Why is formation so central to renewing the church, do you think? Um, you know, when I, I was in Rwanda 10 years after the genocide in Rwanda, and um, and Rwanda was considered the best, one of the best evangelized countries in Africa before the genocide. And the genocide, actually, there was a lot of participation by Christians in killing pastors who were involved in killing or ordering killing. And um, I remember we met with a with an Anglican leader, Rwandan Anglican leader, and he said, the blood of tribalism ran stronger than the waters of baptism. And the question is, how do we form Christians who say no to tribalism? How do we form Christians who say no to racism? How do we form Christians who can be border-crossing people in our world today, where we face so many border-crossing problems? That's a question of formation. It's not a question of evangelization. It's a question of formation. And so our catechesis, our, it, it, 
the, the pandemic, I think, is exposing that our formation is weak and superficial. Mm. Last question, I think, Chris. I think it's going to be the last question. How can we foster healthy congregational life in our churches? Yeah, well, <laughs> that is that is the question. <laughs> I, I don't think it's through. I I, I want to say that I think that the the well, you know, we're moving toward Pentecost. Pentecost, the DNA of Pentecost is a church that crosses divides. Churches are called to be bodies that cross divides, communities that cross divides, living the alternative as a community, cross divides of race, culture, class, with the lordship of Christ at the center of that life. So I, I want to say that learning how to be communities that cross divides, that live that alternative, that is at the heart of healthy congregational life. And that, as we see in the story of Acts, crossing those divides is difficult. It's strange ground. It will take us on strange ground, but that difficult and strange ground becomes holy ground for learning to be more like Christ. And I think that that is at the heart of becoming healthier congregations. Mm. Ah, I fear that's our time, Chris. That was f fabulous. Thank you so much. Chris Rice, uh, the book from IVP is called From Pandemic to Renewal, Practices for a World Shaken by Crisis. Indeed, we have a lot of work to do to, and we have to come to terms with a lot of things, a lot of change, I think, in the next few years, don't we? Chris, thank you so much. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Thank you, Chris. Thanks so much, Brent. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com. <laughs>